Hello and welcome to another week of the Winner Winner PUBG podcast. It's a podcast in which we talk about player unknowns battlegrounds and such as. Yep. I know, doesn't that sound fun? It's pretty fun. It's pretty cool, I guess. I don't yeah. Know. I You're guess. not like doing anything, you know. I, I I'm sure not, man. I mean <laughs> I'm not even introducing this freaking episode, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I guess I should get moving on that. So uh, so I'm one of your hosts, Arjuna. I'm the other one, Robin. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's uh, it's not that this game is ho-hum or anything. I mean, no. It's not like it's not like things are popping off somewhere else and not in PUBG, you know. But, um, <laughs> but, but there you have it. You know, PUBG, it's that imperfect game you just love coming back to. It's like home away from home, you know? Yeah. Just mm-hmm. settle in, do a little uh, war zone, bullets whizzing by, and vehicles exploding, and red zones, and blue zones, and just my home zone, you know? Mm-hmm. I love it. So, wait, so is PUBG home, or is PUBG home away from home? Oh, yeah, yeah, good point. I think PUBG actually is home, and then mm-hmm. other places are kind of home away from home or, or away from home yeah full 21st right. century digital boy here <laughs> I, I love how that statement is just factually true as well you know <laughs> so home is home and then other places are away from home <laughs> you know we just we just shoot straight on the winner winner PUBG podcast you know <laughs> just like no <clears throat> no bones about it. Should we torture our listeners with 15 minutes of banter before we uh, talk about things again this show? Yeah, yeah. Let, <laughs> let's do that, man. Um, I, shit, though. I think I'm run out of smooth jazz. So Last week, um, I had the great like deep voice. I remember I was indulging it maybe a little too much because I was playing with someone on the Discord and they were like, yeah, man, it was a good show. I think it was Heath. It's like, but that intro was rubbish. Like. <laughs> <laughs> He kind of All accused right. us of well, being a little indulgent. Um, yeah, which I take, I take well. I t- <laughs> oh but, well, you know. Yeah, the, the funny then. thing about running a podcast <laughs> is that you've got to strike a balance between us enjoying it and the listeners, exactly. listeners enjoying it. Yes, and I got to tell you, listeners, like it may seem like just jumping straight into the shit is like the best thing to do Mm -hmm. but like as a content producer it's really fucking boring yeah like it really is man and so just just want you guys to know that like the first three minutes are our time okay that's like (laughs) that's like robin robin and arjuna time okay and then the other like seven hours of every podcast that we make is listener time so just put Mm -hmm. that in perspective a little bit yeah if you don't Um, like it you can use the Podcast Addict podcast app on your phone. And you can, for any show you listen to or subscribe to, you can actually set a period of time that you want to skip at the beginning. Um, <laughs> and so for us, if you wanted to skip this, like, kind of meandery, nonsensical part, yeah. you just set that, that to, like, 20 minutes, maybe 30. <laughs> you should be good after 30 minutes. Uh, you're pretty much in the yeah. Career. That'll like that way you'll get to skip all the patch notes and like question of the week and all that shit Those that doesn't matter. You know, no, <laughs> <laughs> don't skip that. Skip the breakfast talk. <laughs> skip the yeah. the Robin and Arjuna randomly meander and muse about life. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> which well, we do which, a lot of before we start recording as well. And we still end yeah, up with a lot that's of the hot true. air. So I don't know. Yeah, well, um, which we've also successfully just managed to spend another two minutes doing at the beginning of this podcast. <laughs> so that's a matter, dude. Not editing it out, Heath. <laughs> Eat it. So let, let's uh, let's talk quickly about what we're actually going to talk about today. Um, so, so yeah, five minutes in. Here we go. We are going to be talking about AIM today, mm -hmm. which is one of our big aims on this podcast in general, is helping you get better at the game. And, you know, we've said this before, and I still believe that PUBG is roughly like 50% AIM and 50% everything else. So, what, you know... And this is okay. our first show about it. <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, we've, is. we've yeah. definitely talked about it in a lot of different contexts, but this is our yeah. first dedicated show to AIM. Which is That's true. It's an intimidating topic, which is why it we is. put it off for so long. <laughs> yeah, it's taken us 48 episodes to work up the nerve to mm -hmm. ask AIM on a date, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and the, you know, the short answer is it just takes practice, but the, the longer answer is that there are actually things that we want to talk about that will make you better at aiming. And some of them are actually easier to do than you might think. So, mm -hmm. That that's cool. And almost easy enough for that for us to have tried them. It almost. <laughs> <laughs> you know, do, do as we say, man. I mean, we're a podcast, exactly. you know. But we also have. Uh, there's, there's not really much going on in PUBG right now um, this week, but we do have a question of the week, and uh, I am kind of excited to talk about this. It's Ooh. kind of along the lines of what we've been talking about so far. Robin, do you want to read this question sure. from Banshee McFellow? Okay. All right. So he directed this at you. And the question was, uh, hi, I'm new to the Discord, but I've been listening for a while. My buddy and I have been wanting to start our own podcast for a little over a year now, but haven't gotten around to it. Story of my life. Seeing that you guys are now on approaching episode 48, I was wondering if you had any tips for us starting out. All right. Well, first of all, welcome to episode 48, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> we we have arrived at episode 48. Yeah. This is cool. Um, We're f four shy of a full year. Yeah. A full year's I know. worth. So. That's, that's nothing to scoff at, We man. need to throw a party when that happens. We do. Yeah, we do. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you think about the um, Xbox Corner podcast, which, of course, we didn't record, but um, that's 49. So oh. there you go. Yeah. Yeah, and the, oh, and by the way, um, those guys are recording another episode. I actually think they're recording it right now. No way. Oh. So, yeah, so we'll be releasing that next week, and I'm pretty excited about it. <clears throat> wow. So. So what do you think uh, of this on, question? So, yeah, on the topic of this question, I, I had a few thoughts. So I'll just dive into the first one. Okay. So so listen up, Mr. McFella, uh, or, or Ms. McFella. Or person McFellow. Um, the first thing that I would tell you about running a podcast is that it's a freaking endurance sport. Mm -hmm. So this is like before you do anything at all around your podcast, I think you should take a long, hard look at your life and be like, do I want an unpaid part-time job? <laughs> yes or no? Yeah. Which now, is like, you could say that about any hobby in a way, though. Th that's true. Yeah. That's true. It's a good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And I don't know, Robin, I like, I would estimate that I probably average at this point, I probably average about eight to 10 hours a week oh. of podcast work. Oh man, maybe you do so much more work than I do. <laughs> maybe, maybe less if, if it's, uh, so Robin and I trade off editing the show, mm-hmm. but just to give you guys an idea, it takes us usually up to an hour to figure out what we're going to talk about per week. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that we do beforehand and some of that we do like like earlier in the week and some of that we do right before we record the show. Yeah. So that's about an hour. And then our shows take anywhere from one to two hours to record, depending on how, you know, verbose we get. Yeah. And then I would say a rule of thumb for editing is they tend to take about twice as long to edit as they end up being. Would you, do you think that's about right? I think right, that's Robin? true when you have just two people on the show. Yeah. If, every person you add, um, you need to. So for us, if we do a one hour show, it takes two hours to edit because there's two of us. Just take the length of the show and multiply it by how many people are on it. And that's how long <laughs> it takes to edit, basically. Yep. <clears throat> exactly. So, you know, so that's like another roughly four hours, three or four hours and that's right the, there. That's the low, like that's minimum to me. Right. And right. exactly. As I get more interested in the production side and learn more and get more confident at editing, the more enticing it becomes to tinker more and spend a lot more time on it. So, um, and it depends yeah. on, on how you want to edit. You could get away with doing less editing than you and I do on some levels. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you, you could also obviously do a lot more than what we do as well in terms of like adding in sounds and music and even doing um, more sophisticated techniques in terms of when, when you interview somebody. Um, one of my favorite examples is Radiolab and the way that they, they'll kind of have a, a narrative and monologue going about the people they interview and then they'll splice in bits of their conversations in this really mm. kind of artful way that you would know it, it, it's definitely time intensive and meticulous mm-hmm. the way that they do it um, but it comes out really well and they have really tight control over the flow of ideas because of the way that they edit um, whereas ours of course yeah. is a little more organic and flowy and conversational because um, we don't do that you know what's funny about Radiolab is that was one of the first podcasts I ever listened to. Mm-hmm. And I used to love how they edited it. And now I fucking hate oh, it. Oh, really? Like, oh, my God, dude. It's it's like listening to that show is like listening to a swarm of gnats for me. Whoa. It's like, it's like sounds mean? are just like coming at me from all angles. And they have these like little idea snippets. Uh-huh. And like uh-huh. all interviewers are like getting chopped up by all of these you know, like yeah. random interspersed sounds and shit. And it's, it's like after f- mm. after five minutes, I'm just like, oh, fucking like get on with it. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely, I don't want to take away from their achievement. Like mm-hmm. they're a revolutionary show. And, and I think the editing is like fully 50% of what makes their show so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but just for me personally, I'm just, Dude, I'm just over it, man. Got it. I remember <laughs> the, the first, I had friends who had listened to, say, This American Life, and they were used to that kind of podcast, which is more traditional. And then I showed them Radio Lab, and they were kind of overwhelmed as well and thought it was, mm-hmm. there was a lot of 
of editing and noise and uh, stimulation, really, right? A lot yeah. of flipping. It's like the mashup of podcast. <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally. Like a mashup song where it's like, we're going to do 20 seconds of this one and then phase into this next song. And it's always like just the meatiest part of each song. And you feel like you get like ADHD just from listening to it. Um, but yeah. Anyway, that's that's a point of reference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so anyway, that's already like on a week in which I edit the podcast, we're looking at about seven hours of work. And then, you know, if you have anything else to do around it, like just just uploading it. And if you have a community, of course, then there's, a, a, you know, any amount of work you could put into that every week, just talking to people and engaging them which and is answering really their questions. Yeah, it's it is fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I you mean, know. and it's hard because we both have full time jobs, and I feel like we've we've definitely been able and been very fortunate to have a lot of our community members step up and take moderation roles in the Discord. And so, but before we did that, it was <laughs> you were doing a lot more work um, mm. with the moderation, and when the community's active, it is a lot of work. So, mm-hmm. um. Yeah, I don't. I I actually kind of wish I worked less so I could put more time into the podcast because it's more yeah. fun. Yeah, it mm-hmm. is fun. It's super fun, and yeah, I I agree. Like, it's also a really great way to if you're the kind of person who has many interests, then podcasting is really cool because like you get to learn about audio and you get to make images for it and you get to you know we set up a subreddit um and so you just get to do a bunch of different stuff and for someone like me that's really gratifying Mm -hmm. yeah i agree yeah i totally agree and on the on that topic of like pursuing different interests and also it being an endurance sport something you have to kind of commit to i'm one that i'm not very self-disciplined to be honest like it takes me it's not easy for me to dedicate myself to a routine that isn't like pure fun like i i can go rock climb a couple times a week because i really like doing it but podcasting is it is fun but it's also work and it takes up at least one night of your week and you know i think it helps that you and i do it together so and there's a schedule to it um but it's actually brought a structure to my life because we're, we're dedicated to doing one show a week that I really enjoy in terms of having a like hobby pursuit and, and kind of a creative pursuit as well. I don't know if it qualifies as a creative pursuit, but <laughs> I've actually personally really appreciate it. And it's brought me a lot of gratification um, and, and sense of fulfillment outside of my job. So I highly recommend it. Anyone out there thinking about doing it. Um, Obviously, if me and Arjuna can do it, you guys can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, that's a really good point, Robin, because uh-huh. I think, I don't know, there's this kind of, I'll call it like the silver curtain, right? Where mm-hmm. you, like, you see someone streaming or you hear someone podcasting and it's easy to just think like, oh, that person is like good at something or, mm-hmm. oh, that person is like special in some way. And I, I've had that thought about a lot of people. And let me tell you, folks, like Robin and I are just some pretty normal ass people, mm-hmm. you know, like we really are. And, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe that's why our podcast isn't 
like a massive podcast, you know, <laughs> but, sure. but, you know, sure. we've, we've managed to attract a, a following and, you know, we've got over a hundred thousand downloads. And, and so, you know, we're doing pretty, we're doing decently, I would say, as mm -hmm. far as kind of small time podcasts go. Yeah. And I don't know. It always chafes me a little bit when someone's like, if I can do it, anyone could do it. Mm -hmm. Um, because I don't necessarily think that's true, but I mm. do think if you're someone for whom the technical challenge of, you know, recording people and the technical challenge of, of putting it all together and the logistical challenge of doing it week after week after week, if all of those kind of challenges sound fun to you and you also feel like you would remain excited about your podcast topic for like a year or years, then I would say like, absolutely go for it. And yeah. anyone who feels that way, you know, anyone who still feels good about it after answering those questions for themselves, I think can run a really good podcast. Mm -hmm. So, but okay. So this brings me to my next point, which is you've got to pick your topic wisely. So one of the reasons why I think our podcast has had any amount of success is that there just weren't, there weren't really that many other PUBG podcasts when we started doing it. Mm. And I noticed that the ones that were there were a bit more focused on news and a bit more focused on community building. And I didn't really see anyone talking about like nuts and bolts, like how to get better at this game. Mm -hmm. And I personally care about that a lot because you know i am a competitive person and i just sucked really hard at this game when i started playing it <laughs> and i wanted to get better so i realized that i just took a look around and i was like there is not a good PUBG strategy podcast and that's when the light bulb went off in my mind i was like well no one's doing it i think people would listen to it let's do it mm -hmm. and sure enough you know like the the masses have spoken other people indeed did want to listen to that mm -hmm. yeah which brings me to one of my points which is this is whole process is a lot easier if you know someone like arjuna who can <laughs> pretty much bootstrap the whole project <laughs> in like five hours um now that i know what i know i could i could probably get if i wanted to start my own podcast i could do it now and but it does it does take a little bit of startup time. I just wanted to mention, especially if you're not familiar with audio and stuff. But it's surprisingly simple um, once you just download a couple programs. It's actually pretty much pretty straightforward um, if you're not a perfectionist right off the bat. So there's always mm. you know some depth to it where you can you can hone a lot about your sound quality and 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 the content and all of that. But I mean, literally, if you just wanted to hear your voice on the internet. Um, like the steps to make that happen are really pretty quick, uh, to fulfill. I would think, is that correct? Uh, I guess I didn't handle the like setting up of our, um, hosting, um, where we, where we post to, I can't even remember yeah. the name of it right now. So y you can get your podcast hosted for free, but mm -hmm. it's like, it's extremely prohibitive. So like, if you want to run a podcast, that's like 10 minutes once a week, then great. You can get free hosting. But pretty much anything other than that, you're going to want to pay. Mm -hmm. And I think I would just say this. If you're going to start a podcast, I would commit to a year. Like tell yourself I'm going to, I mean, maybe, okay, maybe this is the best way to do it. 
these are the steps I would take if I wanted to start another podcast is I would just record a handful of episodes with me and, and whoever I can rope into it. Just record like four or five episodes and see how it goes. You know, if after those episodes, you're like, oh, this is great. I'm really enjoying this. I'm really enjoying editing these, you know, and, and don't do anything with them. Like don't host them, don't upload them, don't do anything. Just record the episodes and listen back to them and just like, you know, check in with yourself. Like, how am I doing? Is, you know, am I enjoying it? Do these sound good? Maybe play them for your significant other or your friends or whoever you know that's also interested in whatever it is you're talking about. And just kind of get a feel for like, do I want to do this for a year? And if the answer is yes, then, you know, buy yourself a year's worth of hosting. It's not that expensive. I think I spent $100 to buy a year's worth of hosting on Podbean. And just, you know, lay the money down and start doing it. And, you know, I think you'll, you'll know pretty quickly. Like if you get your friend, you know, Raul, whoever your friend's name is, you're like, hey, dude, like, let's make a podcast about craft beer, you know, like every we'll record every episode in a different I, brew pub. And I, we'll I talk already want to listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> right. So like, you know, Raul? if you have that idea, your buddy, you and your buddy Raul talking about craft beer. Yes. Yeah. This is your man, project, right? Banshee so, McFeller. I so want yeah, to hear Banshee, this podcast. Call, call up Raul and get cracking. But um, <laughs> so, you know, if you do it for like four or five times and you're like, oh man, Raul, we're having so much fun, you know, and I, I think this is really entertaining. And, you know, I feel like I'm technically able to record this shit. Then like do it, you know, and if uh, on the other hand, I think what happens a lot is that people get excited about it and then they record four or five episodes and all of a sudden like Raul's not answering his texts, you know, and next thing you know you've like already skipped a week right and then like it just peters out so i would i would try to figure out if you're gonna peter out i would try to figure that out before you even go to all the trouble of of like making the logo and getting the site and doing all that stuff like get that figured out first you if know? you figure out if you're gonna peter out yeah exactly <laughs> okay you you usually know i okay. feel like i feel like this is my estimate is that 80% of people who want to start a podcast, if they recorded their first five episodes, they would know that they didn't want to record podcasts anymore and they'd just be done with it. Mm -hmm. Right. On the other hand, if you're one of those people who records five episodes and you're like, I am just getting going, you know, like this mm -hmm. is great. Like I want to work on my next five episodes. Then you're probably the kind of person who's going to be able to stick it out for a year. Mm-hmm. So, and it, it is every week, folks, like every week. I like just we, do it because you used to live here and <laughs> I know I would have received lashings if I didn't keep doing it. Now it's yeah, just kind man. of a habit. I it's guess. true. I actually, I do wonder, like if we hadn't lived together, I don't know that we would have been as successful. I really yeah. think that there was some, some very basic kind of physical reality <laughs> that allowed us to be successful at it. Like, if I don't pull through on this, there's going to be dirty dishes in my bed tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. There's going to be a, a non-cat turd in my bed, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's, so, we're talking about true motivation here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
So, okay, my, my, the final thing I want to say about it is don't expect to make money. So mm. we, we have like generous, we, I think we have something like 35 really, really generous people who um, pay us money every month on Patreon. And I think we're pulling in about a hundred bucks a month on Patreon. Can I quit my Which job is super now? sweet. <laughs> it's super sweet. Like it helped, you know, it helps us to like buy, you know, blackout. It helps us to mm -hmm. pay our bills for the year. It helps us to, you know, helps us to get another microphone and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's really great. It's, it's important. Um, it helps us to maintain our steam and I'm not dissing it. It really does. But it's, yeah. You know, but it's also like we uh, we've probably maybe broken even now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. This isn't profit. We're not making a hundred dollars a month. We've no. like maybe and, and like time doesn't factor into it at all. No, not way. at all. This is like not at all offsetting cost. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's just like you know, you don't start making money until you're like Radio Lab. So just don't that's not going to be in the equation with podcasting i think yeah what do you I think, think though here what if what if you and i worked like part-time and we put a lot more energy into this do you think we could make more money on it yeah i do mm -hmm. like for example okay i think the kind of people who make money doing stuff like this uh, like like let's talk about someone like maybe fugler right or choco mm -hmm. taco these streamers who make money i think that those people probably work part-time and I think or that they students, probably, which I know to be the case, or it was the case for Foglet. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and Cho I guess Chaco was a teacher, right? I so know I that. think what that, wow. yeah, I think what they're doing is that like every fucking second of spare time that those guys had, they were playing PUBG, right? Mm -hmm. And it was like it was like every night after work and on the weekends, all the time, you know, mm -hmm. and like. Every time that they got a break, they went for it and they put the time into it, right? So, like, when I look at the development of our podcast, there have been these decision trees, like these effort trees that have presented themselves. So, one of them was like, okay, we get customs access. Do we want to devote another night of the week to leading customs? And we decided, uh, yes. I forgot about you know? that. <laughs> <laughs> right and then yeah you know there's like this other tree like okay now we can start to put our time into running winner winner tournaments right mm -hmm. and we you know we kind of broke the other way on that one we were like nah we don't really we just don't really have the time i don't want to make the time yeah. to do that we did have soko soko was cool enough to throw one together which was fun yeah 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 definitely you know so it's just like th that's the thing is if your if your movement actually starts to take off then you have these decision trees where you're like okay do i put more of my time into this mm -hmm. right and if i think that what happens with people like foglet or Chaco is that every time they reach that fork in the road they're like yes i am going to mm -hmm. continue to put my work into this i am going to make this a priority and then eventually after months or years of just doing that every single time they finally got enough followers and they finally you know bring in enough money on their patreons and and on their streams and stuff that they're actually able to like do it for a wage yeah but no, like yeah and, and I, think, I think that they're very visible success stories go ahead i want to you go ahead and finish your thought and then i want to throw in yeah well i was just gonna say i think that like if 
I think that my, my estimate is that you and I probably would have had to spend like minimum 30 hours a week working on the podcast and just working on our game and, you know, probably getting our streaming together minimum 30 hours a week mm -hmm. to even have a shot at like growing our following enough to start making more money doing this. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So like, you know, this like 10, maybe 20 hours a week when things were really popping, just, it's just not enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, I yeah, agree. I think with that assessment that? Um, of time, you mean 30 hours each of us or a total? Yeah. Yeah. I would say, yeah. Each of us. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of dots you start have, you have to connect if you want to start making money rolling um, mm -hmm. with partnerships and production quality and getting the right participants and um, all of that. But um, I just wanted to say too that with with Fuglet and Chaco, like they're basically superstars in this genre, right? And they have decided to, you know, whenever they face a choice about whether or not they want to put more effort and time into it, they've probably chosen yes in most cases. And I, I just wonder how many people out there have also made that choice and have been pursuing similar paths and just haven't been as successful. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right? Because, like, yeah. you know, that's that's kind of the hard reality of it is, in, in their case, they're streamers. So really what makes fundamentally a successful streamer, unless your charisma is just out of this world, what makes a successful streamer is being really good at the game, right? Because that's what's fun to watch. Yeah. For the most part. And and if you can outweigh that with being very personable and having the right kind of personality, but usually it's both. Um, there's some streamers that are a little more flat, but they're good enough that like yeah. that's what people like to watch. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're authentic too. So they're they're still enjoyable, even though they might not be as, say, um, theatrical or some something as some other streamers. You know, I just wanted to point out that in podcasting, I don't think like you and I, nobody knows really, except the people who play with us on Discord, like how good we actually are at this game. <laughs> and so the bar for entry and success probably depends a lot more on work ethic and not like your talent at the game. Because I think mm. you and I have pretty well figured out what makes you know a successful player mm -hmm. um yet you know we would get mopped up by many pro player out there right but yeah we could still have a really successful podcast or if we if we'd put the time if we decided to put the time and energy into it and kind of quit our day jobs or something right yeah so mm -hmm. anyway i don't know just thought i'd throw that grain of salt in there yeah, to I know. It's like if you you could put everything into it and still not really get much further than you and I have gotten. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's that's another thing. Do it for a year, and if it's not really ending up where you want it to be, try something else. Mm -hmm. Wow, that was a really long answer to the podcast. It was <laughs> the question of the week. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is just Robin and Arjuna time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yep. So yeah, you can go ahead and set that like skip beginning of the episode to 32 minutes uh, or yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go, go back in time and do that. I guess um, that was a bit of meta in terms of the show and its production and how mm -hmm. me and Arjuna interact with that. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah. It hasn't always been easy to do it. Like there were times where I thought I was over committing to the show and it was taking mm -hmm. up too much of my time, even with 
you know, just making it happen. It wasn't, you know, spending extra time editing or anything. I don't feel that way right now. I'm pretty happy to be mm. doing it, but mm -hmm. anyway. But yeah, <clears throat> it's right. Like think about, think about like sometimes that Saturday afternoon rolls around and you're like, oh, I don't want to be fucking editing the show right now, <laughs> you know? And it's like, that's real. Mm -hmm. Like, and if you want to have a successful show, you've, you gotta, you just, yeah. you gotta do it. You yeah. can't be missing weeks, you know, it's not the way it works. So, yeah. All right. Well, cool. onward, well, current events in PUBG, very few. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we did have a new weapon last week that was introduced first on the test server. And then probably just a couple days before we're recording now, it went to live servers. And it just so happens I haven't played since then. And I don't think you have either. No. And, <laughs> but both of us, we've both watched some footage of it. Um, I watched someone do a custom game with it, with the Scorpion only, which I think, I don't even remember who it was now. Yeah, was, was that Chaco. Chaco? Was it Chaco? Yeah. Okay, cool. <clears throat> I you think saw I that watched too? that video too. Yeah. yeah. So we both have secondhand experience through Chaco. <laughs> <laughs> which side note i just realized today i was watching um some footage today i think it was chaco a, a, a different uh video and i realized how to me watching these videos are so compelling because they're shot in the first person and i and, and this is starting to make sense to me why people who don't even play these games enjoy watching them is because you literally like part of you is not sitting in your chair at home or on your couch. Like part of you is like in their head doing what they're doing from the first person and, and worried about your survival and your success. And that's just my meta thought on that for the moment about watching like first person streaming and video content, I think is, is really compelling and probably going to, hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious where it'll go, but. Yeah, it's the, the being John Malkovich assessment right there. <laughs> I yeah. haven't seen that one in a while. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, so what did we think of the Scorpion? It looked surprisingly effective for what mm -hmm. it was. It, yeah, that's what I thought too. It's a little machine pistol that you can throw a surprisingly high number of attachments on and... I was seeing Chaco mop people up with it at the range that I would expect the vector to be effective at. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a pretty much identical in terms of range. Um, but it looked to be even slightly more stable. It's, yeah. And, and he had it decked out. So, um, you know, if you have the foregrip on there plus the stock, then it looks pretty good but I'll have to get some of my own experience with it before I can say any more than that. Mm -hmm. How about you? What do yeah. you think? Yeah. So my impression was that it is indeed like, it seems like fully twice as good as the Glock, which mm -hmm. is, so that was one question that I wanted answered. And mm -hmm. yeah, I, so right now I think I would put it maybe somewhere in between the Glock and the Vector in terms of like how good it effectively ends up being. Mm. I think if you just, if you just like made a continuum between those two guns and just put this one right in the middle, I think that you're, that's kind of where mm. you end up with it. So like, for example, 
I think you're never going to win a bullet race with this weapon versus like an Uzi, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or a Vector. I mean, Vector's just going to shred you. So it definitely, it's definitely like weaker than, than either the Vector or the Uzi. However, I do think that it is effective at longer range than the Uzi is because of the ability to attach a red dot to it. And also because it has a slightly larger mag as well. Like mm. I noticed, I noticed with Chaco that in a lot of his encounters, he shot like the better part of his 40 mag before he killed them. <laughs> so good point. I, I think like, I think if you don't have an extended mag, you're probably going to bite it pretty hard with this weapon a lot of the mm. time. Yeah. So, does it start at 20 and go to 40? Yeah. It starts That's at 20. Nuts. Okay. And I think you'd have to be pretty good or pretty fortunate. Because, I mean, Chaco is really good, right? So, I think you have to be pretty fortunate, basically, to be able to kill someone with the first 20 bullets. Right. I mean, may, you know, if, really if they're, right around, the, if they're right around the corner, yeah. you know, that's yeah. fine. But at any mm -hmm. kind of range or, or in a, in a more drawn-out encounter, the thing is the gun really, it doesn't melt that hard. So, like, you really do have to land a lot of bullets. Hmm. Yeah. So, you know, you're not just going to, like, with the Vector, you can, it almost feels like you just kind of tap someone and they're dead. And with this gun, like, you're really, you're really going to have to land those shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I don't know. I think, for me... I'm like, I'm sold. I'm like definitely 100% going to pick it up and put it in my pistol slot all the time. Huh. Yeah. All right. We'll see. I'll, I'll see how I feel about it next week. Um, I, I think in terms of if you're going to pick up something in your pistol slot, this gun makes a lot of sense. Um, there might still be a case for the sawed-off shoddy, but um the the one drawback I can think of right now is if you're going to have it and have it be something you can pull out at any time, you're going to want to carry the ammo. Yeah, and the chance that point. you're carrying nine mil ammo for one of your primary weapons is slim. So yeah, there's a trade off there, which I think is kind of smart in terms of in terms of a game design point of view, because they could have made it a seven six two or a five five six. I doubt there's a five five six pistol. Now that I think about it. Well, um, they do exist, but they actually just look like smaller rifles. So, okay, <laughs> wow, I'm surprised That's, you know that. Yeah, I I did a little research around it, and mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's it's really it kind of stretches credibility in terms of what a pistol actually is. Ah, uh, okay. So I think a lot of the people who are making them are just basically getting away with calling them pistols when they're mm -hmm. really just miniature rifles okay yeah yeah um but we'll see i think uh, in practice we'll see if it's it's worth it if you have a level three backpack and you're not slaying tons of people you won't be picking up tons of loot and you might you'll have room for three types of ammo or maybe two if you're doing like you know seven six two primaries and uh the nine mil pistol slot but it just mm -hmm. eats so much more ammo than other pistols we're used to, right? That's true. It's a really good point. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Yeah, like like if you have a sawed off, you're probably just carrying like ten shells, it, and that's a, that's about five. It, you know, 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Care, five you can get by with. If I'm doing a sound off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, and furthermore, like if you've made the decision to run a vector or an ump, then there's almost no reason to even waste your time with the scorpion because those other weapons are just better than it in every metric. Mm-hmm. Like now maybe I could see if I was running the ump, I could see a case for also running the scorpion because if you're in a really sweaty fight and you run your mag down, it mm. would be better to just pull up that scorpion and keep shooting. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. I could see that, you know, that yeah, it's it's definitely it's a great like if you're running a full auto primary, it's a great backup to have ready to go for if you just need those few extra bullets to finish them right. off. Especially if you're doing Sanok or something and you have a sniper plus an SMG that's 9mm, um, then this is your backup. Totally. That, that's kind of interesting. Huh. Mm-hmm. Um, Scorpion, Car 98, or Ump Scorpion, um, SLR, something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really solid loadout, especially in squads, you know? I would, I mean, I would run a Scorpion every time in squads for that reason. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So right. yeah, I think it's going to be a solid role player. I'm really looking forward to getting more time in or getting any time in with it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Is it time? It's it's time. We have arrived. We have hit the target. And the target is <laughs> aiming better. Are you sick of my puns? <laughs> no, it's, I'm glad you did that because I was just trying to think of one. And you beat me to it. So, <laughs> Bullseye. <laughs> so, all right. So, aiming better. How do we do it? Um, yeah, I don't know, man. Do you want to just dive into... How to, yeah. how to aim better. Okay. There's, this is far ranging in terms of different ways that you can approach this. Um, really, it's like if you were trying to get good at a certain role on a sports team, you would like practice, you would play games, and then you would do like specialized exercises that might like hone your ability to do something at that sport. And I, I think this is exactly the same. And like all of our suggestions fit into one of those categories. So like the, the first one we have is just practice, right? And then like a lot of our other ones are like, mm. and, and what I mean by practice is playing and playing with intent and, and playing modes that engage aim a lot. And we'll get to that in a second in terms of what that looks like. But it's basically like doing the thing, um, simulating doing the thing more intensely, and then like picking out little bits of it and um maybe maybe a better analogy is like eating well (laughs) 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 if we want to get holistic about it but let's get away from the analogies and get to the details um Mm -hmm. the first point we have is really just a practice and practice could be just playing normal battle royale PUBG, but Really, unless you're hot dropping, you're not going to get as many firefights as you need to get better at aiming. And so, which actually I would recommend hot dropping. Um, That's Mm -hmm. a good choice. But war mode is maybe a better one because it's just less weight. 
right? Like it's still annoying mm. to you have to wait for the plane and you have to drop down, but that's still a lot faster than joining a new game. Yeah. So, um, so had, another yeah. another thing that makes war mode so great is that the constraints of war mode keep you focused on the same weapon class. So mm, yeah, like the fact that it's like always car 98s or always rifles or always SMGs, it just like it, it really does force you to just get used to using that particular weapon class. And yeah. so I think that's, that's something that's good to note too, is that like aiming is one skill with a car 98 and it's a very different skill with like a scar. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's, there's many ways to skin that cat and, I think so that's part of your practice is I think you you can't just start with like I'm going to get better at aiming. I think you need to drill down a little bit and be like okay, do I want to get better at like mid-range tapping with my M4, you know? Mm-hmm. Do I want to get better at sniping? Do I want to get better at controlling my weapon in close to mid full auto encounters? Right. You know, so I th- I think that would that would be a good kind of identify which of those you want to work on first and then really focus on it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a very good. I usually think of war mode. I think of it in, in there's two modes. There's car 98 and then there's everything else. <laughs> um, well played. Yeah. Because, you know, dropping with the car 98 with a forex is it's reliable and there's a game mode for that. And mm-hmm. it's one of the main use cases for aim. And a lot of the other war modes, just you, you never know what you're going to drop with. Even like overpower, you might end up with an OM, but you might end up with a Groza. Mm-hmm. And it's just hard to practice certain things in that mode. But um, anyway, yeah, that's a, that's a great one. I kind of miss it now that I'm thinking about it. Mm. But um, yeah, yeah, me too. So, so that's one war mode. And then we, I became aware of something called Aimtastic, which is a game that's free to download on Steam. And it's just a, a little first-person shoot practice range that has several different types of um, test and practices that you can do to get better at aim. Like one was flick. Another is it, it spawns targets that start big and shrink, and you have to shoot them before they diminish into nothing. And a Wacky, Jackie, Wacky Jackie actually featured this um, on one of his videos recently about aiming better. And Mm -hmm. so I downloaded it a long time ago and literally used it for the first time today. I'd been using some other (laughs) ones periodically, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I thought I'd try it out. Um, Have you tried it, Arjuna? Yeah, I've actually put in a decent amount of time with Aimtastic. I really like it. And one of the reasons I like it is that it, it's really designed to normalize the action of pointing and clicking. Mm-hmm. And so, and it's, it's really designed to get your brain comfortable with the idea, like a target pops up and I shoot it really quickly. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's one of those, it develops muscle memory. And I think that there's, there's kind of no substitute for that. Like, I mm-hmm. think it's a little bit like, um, like taking penalty shots in soccer, right? Like, I, th- I think that's a really good analogy, actually. So, like, a, in a soccer game, how many shots on goal are you going to get? Not that many. Mm-hmm. And how many penalty shots are you going to take? 
like very, very few ever, right? And mm-hmm. in, in a kind of average game of PUBG, it's the same. You spend like 99% of your time fucking around and doing other things. And then 1% of the time in these really white hot battle encounters. So this game, uh, the Aimtastic is designed to just get your muscle memory used to that 1% scenario. Mm-hmm. And, and I do like how the, the different modes just get you in the habit. And I found that there was something really like one of the things I don't like about training my aim in PUBG is like, like if I'm actually playing the game is that it's just high stakes all the time. Mm, yeah. And I think that that really, it stresses you out. It puts you in a mindset that's not as receptive to learning. Yeah. And I think even if you're focused on learning, there's still that part of you that wants to win. Yeah. And in Aimtastic, you have none of that going on. I mean, I don't know. If you're like one of these ultra competitive people who can't ever afford to lose at anything ever, then Aimtastic is going to be infuriating for you because you always lose. But... <laughs> Like there is actually, you know, there are scoreboards and shit and it it kind of tallies up your points and Mm -hmm. gives you an idea of how well you did. So if you're the kind of person who just can't ever let go of that stuff, then you're going to hate Aimtastic. Mm -hmm. But I think for the rest of us, it's just a really great way to have this kind of low pressure, doesn't matter, Mm -hmm. easy accessible thing. And I found one of the best uses for it is like, I was I was going through a period of hot dropping a lot mm-hmm. and it's a really perfect thing to do between hot drops because in PUBG it takes, you know, two to three minutes between dying in one game and feet on the ground in the next game. And so what you can do is it it's not a very resource hungry game. And so I would actually just leave it up with my yeah, PUBG running. That's a great idea. And it only it only saps maybe like five frames from my PUBG performance. And so I would, I would just literally alt, like I'd have my headphones on. And when I heard the plane running, I would just alt tab back into PUBG and play my mm-hmm. hot drop, probably die within a few minutes. And then I would just rejoin my next game, tab back into Aimtastic, do a few rounds, and then just get back into PUBG when I hear the plane again. Nice. Alternatively, it's such a lightweight game that is really quick to launch anyway. Totally. So you could shut it down if you want those five frames. Um, yeah and it wouldn't be like oh you're waiting for two minutes for it to launch it's like i i've only launched it today twice and i don't remember the startup time being significant at Mm -hmm. all so yeah and another thing is that i think it's especially a good thing to do if you're playing in squads you know because like in a squad game you might die five minutes in and you might Mm, wait 15 minutes to get in the next game and so you can get in oh dude we have to do that like when when we die early or when one of our squad mates dies early, we can be like, all right, go do five rounds of Aimtastic. Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, you should do that in your tactics sessions. They're like, you know, I didn't drill have a gun. Like, do it. <laughs> yeah. Go, practice, go play Aimtastic until you reach, you know, 200,000 points. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, like I said, I just tried it today and it was, I, I was surprised. I tried the flick test first. And I instantly felt slightly motion sick from it. <laughs> and then I got over it. And then I did really badly. I got like, I hit like 30% of my targets the first time. 
And then I steadily increased over the course of five rounds up to like 65. Nice. So that was cool. Um, yeah. It was surprisingly hard. I just left it all on default settings and then Dude. I got a lot better, a lot like really fast. So yeah. that, was, that was fun. I will mm-hmm. say the defaults are punishing. Like mm-hmm. I think that they chose they chose good defaults to not make you feel like you're just rolling through the game the first time. Like I think you mm-hmm. have to be very good to like mm-hmm. play all of those default modes and feel like they're not hard enough. Yeah. Well, I watched yeah. um, Wacky Jackie like had an example of himself doing it at the end of his video. It's and insane. It was like, is this normal speed? This is nuts. <laughs> like the the the. the how quickly he was doing the shrinking targets exercise was yeah, yeah ridiculous I had a mini stroke yeah um, i know Arjuna? it really sh- <laughs> it shows you the gulf between someone like us and someone like wacky <laughs> yeah yeah yep genetically yeah. modified organism so yeah those europeans man you yep. just can't fuck with them mm-hmm. so all right um let's talk about we have a a bullet point here for pre-aim and Uh, i think that this is this is a really interesting discussion around aim so do you want to take us into that robin yeah pre-aim we've talked about this in the show before but since we're talking about aim today um figured we'd be comprehensive and include it again and pre-aim is just basically anticipating where your enemy is going to be and aim there before you see them that's all it is um very concise definition and this comes up you know, just being situationally aware of where you expect your opponent to be. If they disappeared behind a hill, they could pop up pretty much anywhere. But if they disappeared behind a corner or behind a window frame, then it's pretty easy to guess where they might appear again. Um, and just being aimed right there already, it saves you the trouble of having to adjust your mouse, aim down sight, and get on target. So... <laughs> It's kind of the the easy shots that people try to line up. Um, And another thing on this, since we're talking about kind of like in-game tactics to make you better at aiming, is the idea of um, just aiming when you're running around. Because like you said earlier, like I think the proportions of action versus non-action are pretty low, meaning there's not a lot of time in this game where you're actually in a firefight. Mm-hmm. And so what I've done is while I'm running around from point A to point B, I'll just like pick random objects and sight, like stop and sight them as fast as I can. Just like as I'm running around, like, oh, let's pretend that's an enemy and stop mm. and aim. Cause that's, oh, that's really, cool. that's the main mechanic, right? Like, and it's something that something like aimtastic doesn't quite capture. Right. Mm-hmm. And like pretty much I haven't seen any aim trainers, in fact, that do capture this. And it's really important is changing from the default uh, field of view and perspective and going into an aim mode and being on target. Mm-hmm. Um, that process is actually, I would say, as important as like your flickability. Or, mm, agreed. Right? And so yeah, totally agree. it's something, unfortunately, that aiming simulations don't seem to capture very well and it's something you can mitigate a little bit by actually just aiming at random things when you're running around especially if you think you're like gonna end up in a battle like 
toward the end of mid game is a great time to do this because it gets you kind of primed for those battles that you're definitely going to encounter um, in the end game there. So, yeah, it's not something I do all the time, but I when I'm try harding, I do think of that. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, this is one of the places where I see some of the pros pick up the most edge is that I think that they pros will often win encounters by anticipating where their opponents are going to think they are and then doing Mm -hmm. something else. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. a simple example of this is let's say you've, you've leaned around a corner and you see someone and you take a shot at them and then you lean back in, right? Mm -hmm. You can be fairly certain that their cursor is going to be right where you just were the next time you point out. Mm-hmm. And so if you do something else, like if you crouch and then lean out and do the same thing, you you have an edge on that person because right. you know they now have to move their gun to hit you at all. Yeah. Um, or if after the first time you did it, you immediately vault in the window next to you and then shoot out of the other window through which you can see that person. That's another mm-hmm. way to kind of get the edge on them. Yeah. So there's a lot a lot about being successful in this game is kind of winning those cat and mouse fights of, you know, where did you expect me to be and where did where was I instead? Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, but I think I think that and conversely, so much of winning in this game is trying to anticipate where someone's going to be and then having your cursor there already. Yeah. So um, this this actually reminds me as well uh, that there are a few other things to consider here. Like this, this happens to me a lot. And I, I hate being in this situation because I'm not good at it. Where let's say you're in a room and there's an open door and there's someone running down the hallway and you think that they're going to run past the open door and keep running, right? And you have a shotgun. Mm -hmm. And basically what you're doing is you're waiting until you see them and you're going to try to blast them as they're running through the opening in the doorway. It's harder to do than it seems. Like even even if you hear them and even if you know they're coming, it's hard to actually land that shot. And... So what I've tried to do to accommodate for stuff like this is I've tried to, like, I think a lot of people might actually, let's say someone's running left to right, okay? Mm -hmm. And you might think, okay, I'm going to aim to the left side of the door because I think, you know, I want to like hit them as soon as I can. Mm. What I've started to do is actually aim more towards the right side of the door because it gives me a little buffer of reaction time. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, or another example is I think one of the reasons why, like, uh, the, your classic around the corner encounter is a really good example of, of how to play this. Because uh, one thing you could do is let's say someone's around the corner and they know that you're there. You could crouch if you were previously standing and then peek around. That might give you an edge. Or another thing you can do, which some people have done successfully against me, is you can actually jump around the corner and Mm. try to either land a shot in midair or just when you land. Because, again, it's like the chances of someone actually hitting you while you're in midair are pretty slim, Um, especially if they don't 
expect you to do that. And so these are just, mm -hmm. these are different ways that you can kind of game the system to try to get an edge in an encounter. Yeah. Now they need to be really close to, to land a jump shot. It's something I'll emphasize because yeah. I've definitely done like over jumping <laughs> <laughs> in battles where I'm like jumping and I'm like, it feels like an eternity when you're in yeah. the air and you're like, oh man, I really want to aim down sight right definitely. now, but I can't because I'm airborne. Yeah. And like you hit the ground and maybe you're even dead before you hit the ground. And when you mm -hmm. hit the ground, you're like, it just, you can't get to aiming down sight fast enough. No. And by the time you do, you're dead. Like, <laughs> yeah. So it, it does work, you know, for jumping around like a hallway corner and landing a jump shot or something with a shotgun that could work well. Um, it's all about knowing like what, what range your opponent's at and are yeah. you trying to shoot back or are you just trying to not get hit? Um, things like that. But yeah. Yeah. Totally. Good points. Good points. Now, um, okay. Go ahead. <clears throat> There's another thing about this kind of pre-aim stuff or, or like the quick reaction speed stuff I want to cover, but go ahead. Oh yeah. No, go for it. Cause I was going to move um, on. So another kind of big thing to think about with aiming is if you're zooming or aiming down sight, which you're pretty much always going to do in this game. The question is, do you get close to the target aim down sight and shoot or do you pretty much get right on target aim down the target aim down sight and then shoot and i bring it up because i was thinking about what i was saying earlier about doing those little just practice shots like oh i'm gonna shoot the a fake dude in the window over there i'm gonna shoot this tree uh, or at least sight it just to practice as i'm running around and once you start doing that when you're not in the heat of battle, you notice whether or not you're on target immediately or whether or not you're off and you have to adjust. And huh. I think it's mm -hmm. a good goal to try to be on target immediately when you aim down sight. So you're actually on target before you even look through the scope and then you aim down sight and you can shoot basically immediately. And this yeah. is the whole philosophy behind quick scoping. Um, and the more you practice it, the better your overall aim is going to be because it's focusing your mind on the detail of that alignment. Now, and, and I think this is something I've been kind of lazy about really in my aiming is I just, I, I'm kind of, I do it unconsciously. I just look toward the opponent, aim on sight and start shooting. And if I'm off, I adjust. But if you try to actually get on target, like before you have an ADS, then it just it, it adds another layer of consciousness or of, of awareness to your aiming process that I think is beneficial. Um, and I'm not I'm not a quick scoper, you know, I'm not good enough at it that like I really pull this off on a regular basis, but I've noticed that it has changed the way I think about aiming a little bit. So mm, mm -hmm. yeah, that would be my mini plug for that. Yeah, that's a cool idea. Mm -hmm. It's especially cool to think about like, how can I use my time productively during the short amount of time it takes to bring my weapon up as well, you know? Right, right. Like, I try to think about that, like, especially if I'm bringing up my sniper, I try to think about, okay, once this is, once the scope's actually up, what do I need to do to make sure I'm on target? Mm -hmm. So, you know, that that's just an additional thing you can be thinking about and an additional thing you can practice as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What were cool. you getting at? Okay. So this brings me to soft aim. 
which I think is it's something that we've spoken about a lot in this game because I think oftentimes it's it's really not very clear where the, the situations in which soft aim is at its strongest. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to bring this up because, first of all, I think that there are really excellent use cases for soft aim. And second of all, that it is, it, you know, in a game in which aiming is so important, it's just very, very important to know what the strengths are of your different aiming modes. So the, I think uh, one of the things I want to put forward here is that I think that soft aim is a lot more important in third person mode than it is in first person mode. And I think it's one of the reasons why you and I don't use it very often anymore, Robin, is because we don't mm -hmm. play in third person. Yeah. But I was thinking about this recently that I think soft aim covers a very critical scenario in third person, which you don't really run into in first person. And it's this, it's that when you're in third person, the advantage of being in third person is that you get to use your camera to see things that you wouldn't be able to see in first person. Mm -hmm. And every time you ADS in third person, you lose that <laughs> advantage. And so hmm. one of the things that makes soft aim so amazing is that it allows you to have some semblance of accurate shooting in a close encounter while still maintaining your third person camera mode. Hmm. So hmm. perfect example of how you would use this is let's say uh, to return to our corner analogy, if you're standing on one edge of a corner and someone's around the other corner, going into first person, to get the best aim you can is a huge disadvantage because you you just basically have to wait until that person's actually moving on you to be able to see where they are. Mm -hmm. However, if you stay in third person, you can see exactly where they are around the corner. And then if they start to push you, all you have to do is soft aim and you can get a pretty, you know, pretty decent accuracy using that at close range. And and you can maintain your view of the person the whole time you're doing mm. it. Wait, but does soft? I haven't played third person in a while. But mm -hmm. does soft aim actually lower the camera a little bit? Yeah, it does bring the camera in a little. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but so it's but it's full... still mm -hmm. it still gives you a fairly wide view. Yeah, and also it's, it's faster. Right? It is right. It, it's it is a, a lot, lot faster, faster. Mm -hmm. and the the visual flux between being full third person and full ads is a lot less especially yes. you know if you if you have a weapon with a 3x or 2x scope or something like that on it um it's just a really quick less jarring way to aim and it makes your your whole like that whole little experience more fluid if you want to just quick do a soft aim at somebody shoot keep moving that's going to be faster than adsing even if they were the same speed, I feel like it's still harder to ADS, get out of ADS, and then reinterpret the visual information mm. from like your full view to figure out what the next action is if you're up against a squad or something like that. Definitely. So, yeah, 100%. It's one of the reasons I didn't like playing this game when I started when it was third person only is that mm. I find it jarring to switch between third person and first person perspectives in yeah. the middle of a fight. Right. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. 
And it's so like when you're in first person, it's still a little jarring to move from regular first person to ADSing, but yeah. the but it's not a perspective shift. It's basically just a zoom shift. Mm -hmm. So the the delta between where you were and where you are now is a lot smaller. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so I I just wanted to point that out. If you're playing in third person, I highly recommend that you work on your soft aim. Uh, I think it's gonna. I, I just think it's a really underrated aiming mode. In first mm -hmm. person, I think it's still worth working on the you know working on soft aim. But to be honest, when I'm playing in first person, I feel like I most of the time, if I were just better at ADSing quickly, I think that gets me more percentage points. You know mm, what I mean? So like if yeah. I had to practice something, I would rather just practice ADSing really quickly with my red dot and getting it done as opposed to, yeah. you know, practicing when's the perfect distance or perfect moment for soft aim. Yeah, I, yeah. I think we get by without it because I don't think a lot of other people are using it. But yeah, I think it's actually one of those areas that could give people a leg up if they were mm. willing to mm -hmm. use it. Um, I feel that way about myself, and I haven't been willing to implement it because of my um, keybinds for aiming. I like to um, hold to ADS on my right mouse button, mm -hmm. which means I have to bind the um, soft aim to a totally different button somewhere else. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. Yeah, which there's really nothing intuitive to bind that to. Um, no, I've been <laughs> no. thinking I, I've, I have it on caps lock right now, but I never use it. You know, yeah. unless I'm like practicing, and then I and if I practiced it more, I could probably pull it off. But mm -hmm. I'm thinking about doing it on a toggle on X, just hit mm. X and it would toggle soft aim on. And hopefully, if I ADS fully, wow. it'll it'll like cancel it. You know, or if I run, it'll cancel it. Something like that. Yeah. The idea of toggling soft aim is like, I just never in a million years would have thought to do that. It that's, it doesn't really make sense because you usually you only want to do it for a moment. Like it's mm -hmm. just like you're breaching a small room and you want to keep your speed and you want to aim quickly mm -hmm. and you don't want any of the jarring movement involved in ADSing. And so you, that's like a great opportunity for soft aim. Mm -hmm. And the idea of toggling it seems kind of, I don't know, like you end up having to cancel it is the main drawback, mm -hmm. right? Or turn it off. So it's two key presses. Yeah. Well, key press, key release, key press, key release. <laughs> I mm -hmm. I'm interested just for a quick report for our listeners. Mm -hmm. How happy have you been with doing hold to ADS as opposed to toggle which is the default? Well, I haven't gone back, you know. Yeah. And to me, it feels a lot more natural and intuitive to do that. And I'm used to it's it's ultimately less actions that you have to do if you're expecting to aim and unaim frequently and quickly, mm. which I I am used to. I'm used to having just from the shooters I've played and my style. I want to be able to do something quickly and then finish it and then move, like switch my attention to something else. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the toggle for ADS with the right mouse button doesn't allow that for me as much. And so I feel a lot, I feel a lot clunkier with the toggle um, mm -hmm. for ADS. Um, 
It's funny because when I think about it, I think of like a long protracted sniper battle or something is where I might want to toggle. But for anything else, if I'm like in the woods, I want to I want to be peeking a tree like as fast as I can, letting out a couple shots and then getting back and being out of ADS and like having to click twice in those moments if you're doing it a lot. It just feels arduous and, and clunky to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I need a mouse with more buttons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely do. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, you know what I find interesting about that is I actually feel like having it toggle to ADS, it, it encourages the kind of good behaviors you should have in the game anyway, which I think is generally that you should spend as little time in ADS as possible. And I, well, I would say that holding encourages that more. You think so? You can, oh, yeah. Because if you, if you, for example, if you and I wanted to, if we're both just looking at a can at the shooting range in Erangel, we're not ADS, and we both just want to sight it and unsight it as fast as we can, mm-hmm. I click and let go of my button, and I've done it. Yeah. And for you, you have to click, let go, and then you're ADSed. And then you have to click and let go again, and then you're unADSed. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. right. So I'm, um, I'm making the point. Maybe I didn't say this clearly, but I'm making the point that holding to ADS encourages you to spend less time in ADS, and that that's a good thing. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So, like, I think it, holding to ADS is it kind of discourages you from staying in ADS because it right. you have to maintain pressure, right? And mm-hmm. if you're doing that for like a protracted amount of time, your finger's going to get tired, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so basically, I think that the the click to AD, the, the ADS toggle encourages you to be lazy and to spend more time in ADS, right? Yeah, because that yep. that's the only way in which it makes sense to do that. If if you're going to be doing it nimbly and a lot quicker then I think it absolutely makes sense to have it be a hold thing. Mm-hmm. And I've that's one of the things that I've been learning in this game recently is that I feel like I feel like I'm dying more because I'm spending longer in ADS than I should be. Mm-hmm. And it's like like here's the thing. Like it encourages you to do things like take a car 98 shot and wait for it to reload and stay in ADS and then oh. take another car 98 shot, right? Yeah. Which is like, just, you just shouldn't be doing it no. ever. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> it's like, if you watch the pro players play, that's one of the first things you notice is that they take a car 98 <laughs> shot and then they are out of that yeah. gun. You they're, know? Out of, they're out of the scope, they do a backflip, they're going around a tree and then they're back. Totally. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They just, they do not have time for that shit, right? Mm -mm. So that, you know, it's it's really one of my learnings in this game. It also encourages me to not basically be a, you know, a a ninny. And like what I want to do, this is this is the way that I want to play this game is I want to like hide around a corner. I want to just stay in ADS for like a minute. I want to wait for someone to run around the corner and I want to fuck them up, right? Like... That's that's my instinctive way to play the game. What I should actually yeah. be doing is like moving, looking, peeking, you know, mm-hmm. faster, stronger, mm-hmm. better, trying to out angle people and find them and fucking take them out, you know? Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I just I think the toggle to ADS does not encourage that. 
Hmm. Yeah, I agree. All right. What's this next point that you've put here? I'm fascinated. (laughs) So this, I've been putting this episode off for a long time about AIM (laughs) because I actually wanted to experiment with this next bit, which is called, there's an acronym for it. That's how cool it is. It's a TDCS. Okay. Which stands for transcranial direct current stimulation. (laughs) So cranial is like your head. And yeah. transcranial is across your head. And direct current is just a type of electricity. And then basically we're going to zap your brain is, is what this means. Okay. <laughs> but I first actually heard about this as it happens on a Radiolab episode, um, which is really worth listening to. If you just listen to, uh, it's called Nine, Vert, Nine Volt Nirvana is the name of the episode. And it was a little bit eye-opening and kind of enticing to me. The show didn't come away with a strong verdict one way or the other, though they had some strong anecdotes about this. But the the gist of it is, is you can apply, and this is totally, you can do this DIY, which I strongly encourage. You can can make this out of a 9-volt battery at home um, if you look up the right YouTube video. And you can apply a very small amount of voltage to your forehead, or any other part what? of your head. But, yep. And <laughs> okay. it ends up being like two to three milliamps of current. <laughs> That's and, not where I expected this to go at all. Yep. This is why I was hesitant to to do this episode, because I knew I wanted <laughs> to cover this topic. And I knew if I wanted to cover it well, I would have to... I, I, and I'm not going to cover it as well as I want to. Yeah. So I'm actually hoping to do a follow-up on this particular segment because I was hoping to actually do a little more homework and then build just a small, like, like literally it's a few wires and a battery is probably what you need. Um, and, and your homework. So, you know, you're not, you're doing it right. And you apply a very small voltage to your forehead basically. And it's not even enough that you feel it. And it's, there, there's been really strong evidence that it improves people at skills, particularly at skills like this. In fact, the Radiolab episode featured a journalist going to a research facility, and it was like a military um, contractor of some kind, and they purported that they could make her better at these like shooting exercises by using this technique. Hmm. And the anecdote was like overwhelmingly, yes, this works, right? Like she wow. went and she sucked at it, and then they did... Uh, transcranial direct stimulation and then she was like phenomenal at it and she also reported much lower levels of anxiety which is something she struggles with and she just was like a way better driver on the way home from the research facility things like this so it was really compelling to me and it it definitely fits into this like hmm, maybe this could help me be better at video games category but i haven't actually put in the time to order some basic parts and put something together. Um, it, it, and I'm legit like interested in this. I know it sounds kind of wing nutty, <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and do, I'm a little do you need bit. To make, do you need to make yourself a tinfoil hat to pull this off? Or what? <laughs> oh yeah, that's step two, dude. That's step two. The tinfoil hat. Um, but I do. I, I'm actually interested in this, um, and I think that people, ha- the researchers who are starting it, it sounded like had some speculation about how this actually worked. But really, in my opinion, based on what they were saying, they have no fucking idea. If like wow, if this works, man. they don't know why. Like, <laughs> damn. <laughs> and th- there was a lot of kind of like pseudoscience metaphory stuff going on in the Radio Lab episode, um, which I'll let you guys judge for yourselves. But it's it's something that DIYers have tinkered with. I'm actually curious if Heathy Keithy has experimented with it. He's one of our Discord members. And um, I know he's kind of a DIYer uh, maker himself. And so I'm curious if he's looked into it. But I'm definitely, um, it's still on my list of, of things to do on a weekend at some point. And I, that's about all I can say about it is, hmm. is like, it, it seems to, it's, it'd be something you do every two or three days for a few minutes. And then, it, especially if you do it, I can't remember if you do it during the activity or if you just take a few minutes of quiet time and do it. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's, that's my wing nutty segment on DIY electricity to the brain. The responsible (laughs) parts of me is like, don't try this at home. (laughs) All right. Uh Well, we won't have any lawsuits for our podcast. So we are, we are not a medical podcast and we're not radio lab. So, um, (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, try it, try it your own risk. Yeah. Now having said that, I hope that you try it, Robin. (laughs) Yeah, I I definitely do want to try it. And, you know, I, I, my job, it demands of me a very high level of kind of mental presence and, Mm. and problem solving ability. So it would actually probably help me on a couple of different levels in terms of focus and Mm. performance, but we'll see. I don't know. The jury's out on it. I certainly wouldn't bank on it, but I'm curious. I still, I, and it's something I'd want to do where I would maybe even design a small study for myself where I could objectively measure um, some change. So, hmm. yeah. All right. Well, yeah, check back in with us and let us know how it goes. All right. Mm-hmm. Will do. Um, nice. So the next point here is unless you're, you know, totally pious PUBG fan, then you probably play multiple different games, especially different first-person shooter games. And I certainly do. I play on a regular basis at least three or four different ones. And um, having your sensitivity be consistent across them is not a bad idea. And so, that unfortunately, sensitivity in one game is not probably the same as sensitivity in another. Uh, In fact, I know this to be true um, just from little experiments I've done myself. And I started a spreadsheet recently where I would measure how many inches of mouse movement, horizontal mouse movement it would take for me to do a 360 in different games. Mm. And it was different. It was very different. I was measuring it in R6, Rainbow Six Siege versus PUBG. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember what the differences were, but the default was different. And so... I, you know, if I wanted to make those consistent, I'd have to do the math to figure out the difference between them. So for Mm -hmm. example, if to do a 360 in PUBG, I had to move my mouse 15 inches, 
and in Rainbow Six, I only had to move it 10. Hmm. I would want to figure out, okay, which one of these works better for me and um, come up with a standard. So I would either increase the Rainbow Six one or decrease the the, um, PUBG one Mm -hmm. to make them the same. Yeah. Um, This is one approach. I still haven't decided. In fact, I was just watching a video today of Shroud playing with Doc and they were doing some tournament thing, blah, blah, blah. And they were talking about mouse sensitivity and Shroud said that his sensitivity in this game was like a little higher than usual hmm. um, so that he could do you know, faster movements and flicks and things like that, which, you know, I, I thought the standardization thing was a good idea until I heard that. And that, that does actually kind of make sense to me that you want a different amount of mobility in different types of games. Yeah. So, yeah. That makes sense to me too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so take that with a grain of salt. Just know that it's an option that you can measure these things. Um, I literally, with the way I did it, is I just put a ruler on my mouse pad. You know, paid attention to where my mouse started, move my mouse to the right, and sometimes I'd have to move the mouse multiple times and like move the ruler and do some addition. But it wasn't that hard, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to figure it out, and then just plug it into the spreadsheet, do some math, and if you want to make them consistent, it takes, you know. Probably, I'd say you have to test it in one game, test it in another game, do the math, and then, you know, set your setting. So probably like a 20 to 30 minute task Yeah. For if you want to make two games consistent with each other, mm-hmm. maybe less, you know, but yeah, I think, I think option. Yeah. I think that time spent messing around with your sensitivity whether it's with your mouse or with your Xbox sensitivity with your sticks, mm-hmm. um, you know, and also like you can fuck with your dead zone. I just think mm-hmm. it's time well spent. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, maybe it takes you half an hour or an hour. And I think that it really yield. It tells you a lot about what you like and what you don't like. Mm-hmm. I, I would encourage against, like, there are these people who go on these diatribes, like, low sensitivity is the only way. And I would encourage you to ignore voices like that. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think think that that's bullshit. I think it's all about, like, what you figure out works for you. Mm -hmm. Having said that, I definitely think that there comes a point where your sensitivity can be too high. And I think... If you lined up a bunch of people and looked at their default settings and tried to figure out, like, like are people generally working with a sensitivity that's too high or too low, I think it would be skewed towards the high. So mm. my guess is that mm-hmm. probably more people are using higher sensitivity than they should than using lower sensitivity than they should. Mm. Mm-hmm. So you do, you definitely lose precision when you have like a higher sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course you gain speed. So it's all about trying to find the that best intersection between, okay, I want my mouse to move quickly, but I also want to maintain precision. So, yeah, you know, it's just, just mess around with it for an afternoon and you'll learn things. And my guess is that you'll probably end up on a different sensitivity than you had it before, and you'll probably be happier with it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, good cool. point. All right. And yeah, and then my last thought on this was just, this is kind of a, this is kind of an obvious one, but make sure that 
you're actually using a good mouse or if you're mm. using a controller, make sure you're using a good controller. They're not all made equally. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, like, I think what's a good mouse. What's that? What's a good mouse? Yeah. So a good mouse, I mean, I would start with the name brand ones like Razer makes good mice. Logitech makes good mice. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different companies making them. Mm -hmm. I would do a little research. Um, it's, and it all comes down to, we covered this on the hardware episode a little bit, but it it all comes down to the quality of the sensor Mm -hmm. and the quality of the sensor is not measurable with numbers. So you can't just look Mm -hmm. at one mouse and be like, well, this one has 7,000 DPI. It's a higher quality mouse does not work like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and most people like DPI has far outpaced our ability to utilize it, right? Like totally, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it sounds like four hundred is kind of a standard, or yes. something actually relatively low. Yeah, mm-hmm. four hundred kind of became the standard, like maybe over a decade ago in the Counter Strike yeah. days, right? Okay, like that's when people, that's when competitive shooters just kind of. Um, it was kind of like the advent horizon of competitive shooters was that Counter-Strike was this ultra competitive game that everyone was playing. And it, mm-hmm. I think it standardized a lot of the law and a lot of the best practices around being good at shooters. So, so yeah, 400 DPI mice was kind of one of the standards that they developed during that time. Now, it's not like there are a lot of mice these days that use more than 400. So it's not like you, you mm-hmm. know, it's not like you need it to be 400. But but I think it's just a good way of illustrating the fact that you can be a world-class shooter player with 400 DPI, right? Mm-hmm. You don't need any more than that. So Yeah. Basically, don't look at the DPI. It's not about the DPI. It's right. about it's about high how high quality your sensor is, and you know, like there's this polling rate. There's all of these different things that mm-hmm. determine like how good of an image your mouse gets and what your mouse does with that image. So, yeah. and then there's just some very basic mechanical things about mice, like a mouse that glides smoothly is really important. Um, Mm -hmm. a mouse that is in a shape that actually like this is, I, I went through a great mouse hunt a little while ago because I use, um, vertical mice because it's ergonomic and I just, everything in my life needs to be ergonomic. Mm -hmm. And so I was buying all these different mice and testing them. And I had this kind of light bulb moment come on where I was Mm -hmm. like, wow, I just took it for granted that if I move my mouse straight forward, the cursor goes up in a straight line. And if I move my mouse towards me, it goes down in a straight line across the screen. And then it should do the same side to side, right? And so if a mouse is designed well, like if you, like let's say you just put it on a rail where it, it could not move horizontally at all. If you moved it up and down, it should recreate a perfectly straight vertical line on your screen with what the cursor Mm. actually does when you move the mouse. Okay. However, I realized that some of the mice that I was trying did not do that. Oh, really? And, and furthermore, um, I think that they, they were all, 
They all were capable of doing it in theory. The problem was that the way that the optical sensor was mounted relative to the shape of the mouse and relative to how the shape of the mouse actually made your hand want to hold it and move it, a lot of those were off. And so I would be sitting there and I'd be trying to move my mouse perfectly vertically and it would be moving diagonally. And it was driving me fucking nuts. And it just made me realize that like not all mice are created equal in that regard. So, and not all people use mice in the same way. So one of the important things is that you actually want to find a mouse that's comfortable for you to grip. And that actually when you're gripping it the way you like to grip it, and when you're moving your arm the way you like to move, you then want your mouse to be doing the motion that you expect it to be doing. So I think I wager that a lot of you listening to this show might like, go, you know, go to your computer and just do this experiment. Just be like, you know, I'm going to move my mouse perfectly vertically up and down and see if it has a slight horizontal slant one way or another. I think you'll be surprised. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, mice people. I just tested mine by sliding it along the edge of my keyboard. It seems good. Yeah. Like a, a good mouse, I think most of the like good gaming mice that cost, you know, not $20, most of the ones that you spend a decent amount of oh, money on. 20? Dude, you can get gaming mice for like six bucks now. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> but like, I think you've got to drop at least like 50, you know, is, really? is the thing. Yeah, I do. Man. I do. There's, there's, there's an old Logitech, that. I think I, it's I, like <clears throat> the Logitech MX580 or something is kind of like uh -huh. this this kind of legendary, old, really good mouse that a lot of people use. And I think you can pick one of those up for like 30 bucks. But Okay. But I, I would recommend that you price yourself up a little bit and get a very good one. Huh. Yeah. I'm on the fence about that. I, I personally, I, I've bought the $6 mice. And they had kind of a stiff feel and I didn't do this like testing of up and down, left, right, but they felt fine. And they have all the same buttons that my Logitech mouse has. And, um, I have the G302, which is, I bought it mostly for the form factor. Um, I have a slightly smaller hand and I like, I have kind of a, they call it a claw grip. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I do most of my movement my palm is rested and my fingers are just moving around. Um, and I don't lift my palm if I don't have to. Mm -hmm. And so I, I have very fine control because of that technique. And I think that's a pretty common one. And if you have a big mouse, then your fingers are spread apart and they just can't move around as much. Mm -hmm. So, um, small mice make good sense, um, for that. If you have a small hand too, like it all just, it's all about fit as you said. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess, you know, run it through the ringer, read the reviews, but it's my my personal guess on this is that you can get a a mouse these days. Because I I think this the technology that goes into these is like pretty well known, but I might mm -hmm. be naive in in saying that and that you can get away with getting cheap mice now. Um that you know like the, the the paint or cosmetics might wear off a little more quickly than a, a quality one and things like that but um 
Yeah. I don't know. I think that's the only quality difference I've really noticed is just kind of the manufactured like paint and things like that, that that seem to wear off of the cheaper ones, but hmm. I haven't gone through hundreds of mice or anything either. So mm-hmm. I sure. think, yeah, I, I contend that it's one of the cheapest ways to improve your game is to get mm. a good mice that works well for you. Yeah. So yeah. like, I, th- I think that it's going to make a much bigger difference in your game than your keyboard or your headset or, you know, a lot of these other things that people seek to upgrade. I think if we're talking about raw performance, having the right mm-hmm. mouse is like probably the cheapest, best thing that you can do. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway, that's another deep take from Arjuna Perkins on the Winner Winner <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I think that about wraps us up, Robin. That's it. Yeah. I know. That's all you got? We did it. An hour and 40 minutes? We're somehow. Just, we're slacking. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know how we got here again, man. Dude, we did so much intro. Yeah. With we the, did pod, a lot of the podcast question intro. of the week, you know, people asked us about ourselves and mm-hmm. that's where we got off track. It's like, how do you do this? <laughs> <But>. <laughs> All right, that's it for aiming, guys. Hopefully, we do a follow up with you on uh, my wacky experiments with electricity and my brain. And um, yeah, I hope to report on that in a month or so. And so that wraps up aiming. And let's let's do the outro thingy. All right. So I'm gonna do a really quick version of the outro. Okay, you ready? <clears throat> yep, ready. All right, so it's a software called Discord, and it's a place where gamers hang out and chat and play games together. So you can join us on Discord, and the link to that is in the show notes. And we also have a Patreon where you can give us money, and the link to that's in the show notes too. And we have a subreddit that no one ever goes to, and there's a link to that in the show notes. And there's a link mm-hmm. to everything in the show notes. And Robin, who did the music of this episode? <laughs> Spiffy Man. Thanks, Spiffy Man. You're awesome. Okay, yeah, thanks, Spiffy Man. All right, well, thanks a lot, guys, and we'll catch you all next week. <laughs> next time we can just say, show notes, thanks, Spiffy Man. Peace out. Oh man, that's like cool. <laughs> yeah, that's just like Mr. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right. But um, for the rest of us, uh, <laughs> thanks so much for joining us this week, guys. It's just been really <laughs> sweet. Really swell. Pleasure being with you, Arjuna. Joining me again here at the Lawrence Manor. Yeah, you too, bro. And we'll see you guys next week. Ciao. Yeah, peace. Bye.